From the shores of the Gulf of Mexico here in Clearwater, Florida, welcome to another episode of On the Sports Clock. I'm your host, Tyler Onstott. Uh, last Saturday, the Willard, Missouri boys baseball team not only won its first state title in program history, defeating Grain Valley 9-8, but it was the first time a boys sports team at Willard had ever won state. And so it is my honor to have on the podcast the head coach of the team, my former high school baseball coach and close mentor and friend, Scott McGee. Uh, Scott, I should say Coach McGee, but uh, I know in 09 and 10, I told a lot of people in the Willard community that as, as long as you are the head coach, we will win a state title. So uh, just first off, congratulations. I'm so happy for you and, and the team and the program. Thank you very much. Uh, you were you were one of my uh, biggest supporters, you know, a decade plus ago, and and you've done a lot for me, and and I always enjoy talking to you, and so uh, it was it was good that uh, this was the group that finally got it done because we've we've had a lot of groups get close, but this is the group that got it done, so it's really cool. Yes, and I was I was just so excited again for you all, and and for those of you that listening that have followed the program, uh, it has been through a lot of adversity over the years, and so uh, this meant a lot to the community. And and last thing I will say here too regarding that, coach, is uh, you know obviously when I was in Chicago and and the Cubs won the World Series, and to see what that meant to to the people and and to the city, what what winning a championship regardless of the level can do for a community. Um, and I don't think at that point it hit me until the parade. And so I, I, I say that to say, um, you know, I was in Fort Lauderdale listening to the game and, and was just celebrating. I was actually sitting on the beach uh, listening when I when, when you guys won. And so I was, you know, really excited. But I don't think it hit me until later on on Facebook, one of my friends, and, and I wish I knew who, otherwise I would shout them out, but um, they put a video of the escort of the team bus back to the ball field by the Willard Police and Fire Department. And, you know, thinking back to the parade in Chicago when it hit me there, that's where it hit me here was it's like, you know, just how special for those players. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was so special for our players. But like you just said, it was so special for our, our entire community. You know, uh, we got back to the field. We had youth people there. Uh, we had administrators there from our school. Uh, we had so many people that have been instrumental. I'm in our program uh, that that celebrated our success. I think it kind of hit me. You know, on the field, it was really exciting, and uh, but you're just kind of living in the moment. Uh, when we got done and we didn't get finished all the interviews, it's 30 minutes post game, and, and we go up top, and and I bet there were 250 people up top at the mezzanine waiting for us, and uh, you know, you you had young kids asking players for autographs, and uh, you saw so many former players, uh, former parents of players. Uh, just huge supporters of our program, and then you know the the youth and and those kinds of people that were there. Uh, it really just meant a lot to a lot of people, and uh, that is the the really cool thing. You know, for those of you that are listening that don't have anything to do with Willard, uh, we're a we're a small town. You know, we're we're just we're a small community, and uh, we do pull some uh, students out of Springfield, uh, but the town of Willard is is not a big big city at all. And so when something like this happens, the entire town really rallies behind it. And it was pretty cool to see uh, so many supporters, uh, not just that day, but but throughout the postseason. And then here after the season's been over, I've, I've had so many people reach out. And so it's been a really cool thing for our entire community. Definitely. And I talked a little bit about the adversity, too. And, and it kind of hit me, too, thinking about um, – two individuals that I, I was around uh, when I was with the program, uh, Justin Atchison and Tyler Hampton, who, you know, unfortunately were lost at, at a too young of an age. Uh, but I was thinking of them and, and just how much they meant to the program. Um, and, you know, they were a huge part of this as well. Yes, they, they were tremendous parts of it. They, they still, they, they will be for, for as long as I'm around, they're going to be parts of our program. Uh, you know, uh, Tyler Hampton, I was a 2012 graduate. Uh, he is the middle brother uh, of Bobby and Cooper. And Cooper uh, had some huge moments for us there in the Final Four. And so, uh, you know, Tyler was was just a, the ultimate connector. He got along with everyone on the team. Uh, his, his leadership came from the fact that uh, he could include and involve everyone in our, in our program. And uh, just his kindness and his compassion for others uh, you know, he was the guy that when someone else would complain about a teammate, he always saw the good in them. And it was it was really cool uh, what he did to impact other people in our program. And he passed away two years ago, the day before our final four. You know, so 2019, 
the the bus is getting ready to leave first thing in the morning to go up and uh, to play at T.R. Hughes in St. Louis. We're going to play Marquette, and we get a phone call early morning that said, hey, the, the day before, Tyler Hampton had passed away. And it, it was a, a pretty emotional moment for, for a lot of us as coaches that had had, had him. And, and uh, so it was it was a it was a, a tough ride up there, um, you know, but but like you said, he meant a lot to our program. Then Justin Atchison was a 2013 grad. Uh, they they put they played together, um, you know, in the final four the first time. And then Justin led us back there again the second year. Justin was an assistant coach for us. Uh, you know, he kind of had a saying of be the best version of yourself. Uh, Justin constantly was able to do that and bring out the best in others. Uh, you know, just somebody who invested so much time into kids. And uh, he passed away in November of 2018. So, you know, those things, you know, they happened within a seven-month time period of one another. And so it was it was really tough. The adversity that so many kids uh, face, so many adults. You know, we, we had a, a parent, Mandy Pfeiffer, who, who posted a long thing about Justin. And, um, you know, she was really close with him. And, and Justin was close with a lot of people. And uh, and he really he really meant a lot to our baseball community. And so, you know, with those two people as our backdrop, uh, we really had a lot of a lot of help. And we had a lot of people that really, really believed in what we were doing. And so it was exciting to see. Absolutely. I know they were uh, two people I thought of for sure and, and having grown up around them. And, and um, I was you know, I know they were smiling and, and you know, they were looking down and smiling when, when you all won in throughout the season. And, and also, I think about to the adversity with COVID last year, you know, the the big run was going to happen last year and Willard was supposed to win. And then, you know, the season got shut down because of because of COVID. And so this team just really fought uh, through a lot. And that's also a testament to the community, the administrators um, and, and the coaching staff. And so if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit about the coaching staff as well. Yeah, we really have a, a really cool situation. Uh, you know, I have several assistants. Uh, the, the guy who's been been around Willard baseball, you know, basically invented Willard baseball. Not really, but he's been around for a long time is Steve Vaughn. Uh, Steve has, has coached youth teams. He's coached middle school teams. He's He's coached varsity summer ball. He's done a little bit of everything. Uh, Steve is, has just left a tremendous impact on our program. Uh, just a blue collar, hard worker, uh, helps helps kids in, in tremendous ways. Um, outside of Steve, all of our assistants, uh, except for one, uh, played for me here at Willard, um, which is a, a really cool thing. And, and so, you know, you constantly worry as a, as a person in charge, am I bringing back people who only know our style of play? Uh, but, but the really cool thing has been, you know, Trevor Bowling and Keaton Presley uh, both played high-level college baseball. Uh, they went out upon returning uh, from college. They went and took head coaching jobs at small schools. You know, so Trevor was the head coach at Walnut Grove. Uh, Keaton was the head coach at Miller. Um, so they, they had to do some things on their own. And, and both of them were instrumental this year in suggesting things that worked for them at the smaller school level. And we implemented several of those things. And, and without those ideas, we would not have won a state title. Um, you know, then Jacob Scott, who uh, was a senior my very first year, he's our head freshman coach, does a tremendous job behind the scenes. Uh, he was the biggest advocate for keeping our reliever in in the state championship. And without him pushing so hard for him, we may have made one too many changes there. So I uh, just did a, did a great job. And then uh, our, we had two other assistants, Garen Stewart, uh, who played Division One baseball, is the oldest brother of our number one pitcher, Dalen. Uh, Garen does a, a tremendous job. He's getting into the medical field, um, so he was just a one-year deal, but was great. And then Bryce Wilson uh, is the only non-Willard guy on the staff. Bryce is a fourth-grade teacher uh, and, and does a great job in the classroom. Um, he is also married to Justin Atchison's sister, um, so he has a connection there as well. He played at Evangel and just just brings a lot of things to our pitching staff so you know people look and see man you guys have a lot of assistance but they really contribute in so many different ways they build connections with kids and they do uh, so many really cool things and i'm really excited that, that i have all of them yeah and i think having worked in college athletics and you and i have talked about this uh you know assistants are the backbone of the program a head coach is only as good we had a saying up at loyola you know you're only as good as your assistants yeah yeah, and, and you couldn't you couldn't say that more truthfully. You know, I think is a lot a lot of times head coaches get a lot of credit and a lot of blame. And um, you know, we would not. I'm not saying I'm not a better coach than I was five years ago, but uh, for to see where our program has advanced in the last five, six, seven years on the assistant coach 
situation is also why we've been so much better on the field. Uh, those guys have just done a tremendous job of working. Uh, they they build relationships with kids. You know, they, they, it's tough as an assistant coach because you have to strike a balance of standing up for what you believe in uh, while also going along with the overall program goals. And uh, I feel like each one of our assistants at various points uh, has come to me and said, I think we need to do this. And when I try to kind of have a discussion with them, they're, they're pretty adamant. And we implement most of those things. Uh, they, they, they have done so many good things. And I think when you look at uh, carrying this over into the business world, uh, being able to listen to people um, that feel strongly about something and have an ownership to that uh, can, can really help your overall program. And, and uh, I feel like that's something I've gotten a lot better at. You know, I used to be a, a, the ultimate micromanager and I've been able to really uh, maybe separate myself from some things and, and let some guys uh, step out on their own and, and do their own thing. And it's really benefited our overall program. For sure. And I think back to, you know, I was I was around you. Uh, so your first year was my freshman year of high school. And um, just to see how the program has, has evolved. And of course, I've followed the program since graduating and, and up until, you know, this day. Um, but everything from the indoor facility to the youth program that's been in place probably about, I would say, 12 years now, um, played with, you know, you mentioned players coming back that I had, you know, guys I played with, you know. Um, so how special is it to see all of that? And then I want to ask you, too, going along with that, do you remember, and I'll kind of tell you why I'm asking this uh, in a minute, but tell the story about my sophomore year, so your second year, when we hosted districts, we were the one seed, and yeah. we lost to eight-seeded Hillcrest in the first round, but that was not really the story of the tournament. I mean, the loss stung, but the story was what happened a couple days prior because, you know, I think between losing that game and then having to figure out how to host a tournament because our field was basically destroyed, set the tone for how Wheeler baseball was going to fight adversity and get things done on the field, no matter the circumstances moving forward. So if you wouldn't mind kind of tying that situation in, because I feel personally that that really set the tone for how things were going to be done moving forward. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things you look back and you say, man, we, we probably shouldn't have pushed so hard to continue hosting the district. And, you know, the morning the morning of that game, actually, it had rained the entire night. Mm-hmm. You know, we have always prided ourselves on we're going to do everything possible to play a game. Uh, you know, our players work so hard in the offseason, summer ball. Uh, we ask a lot out of them uh, as far as field maintenance and, and uh, the hours. You know, we, we practice for a, for a lot of long, long time, long time. And so, you know, it's it's a situation where we're always pushing uh, to play. And the morning that you're talking about where we lost, I'll start from there. Uh, you know, we, we were the first game of the day. We were supposed to play at 11 a.m. The night before was graduation. All of our seniors went to project graduation. Uh, they, got, they got in about four in the morning because their assumption was it's rained all night. There's no way we're playing. And I and, and, and Coach, Scott, uh, Coach Vaughn um, and then some of our other players got up there, and we just started working like crazy on that field at 6 a.m. And – uh, you know, we were able to get it ready by noon to play, but you could just tell the entire energy of the day was off and we ended up losing. Uh, a few days before that, a tornado had come through Willard and, hey, there's been some bad tornadoes that have caused a lot of damage, you know, of human lives and everything else. We have been fortunate we haven't had that in Willard, but uh, that was the the worst tornado we've had here. Um, and it took out our outfield fence for part of it and it took out our dugouts. And so we had to kind of figure out what we were going to do there. And we, we created a makeshift situation. And like you said, it was just hard work. Just work work harder than everyone. That's always kind of been our mantra. If you'll work harder than everyone, things work out. And as you said, uh, in the short term, we probably it probably hurt us. You know, without those things, I don't believe we lose in the first round. Uh, but with those things and the way we handled all of that, it set the tone that we're not going to make excuses. No matter what happens, we are going to push and push and push and do everything possible to uh, create the best experience for the kids. And it's been that way ever since. And so um, I do think that did set a tone for our program for sure. Absolutely. And I can think of one other one other circumstance where that happened where ironically we were playing Hillcrest again this time at their place. And, and I remember showing up to school and looking at the weather forecast and it was like snowing outside. And I'm like, yeah. there's no way we're playing. And then we ended up playing in the snow. It was like, gosh, I can't even remember, but like 
40 or 41 degrees, but the players really didn't complain. I mean, they were happy to be playing, and and I think we ended up winning the varsity game, but we lost the J- – I know we lost the JV game because they had the Olympic style where you start with a runner on second yes. that we're starting to implement now at the, the minor league level, I believe, or, or maybe even the major league level. Yes, um, I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. We beat, we beat Hillcrest 7-6. to six. Uh, John Latham pitched and could not get a feel for his breaking ball because he couldn't feel his fingers. So I think from innings three on, we only threw fastballs. Uh, they actually hit a inside the park home run in that game because the ball rolled underneath the fence. Our left fielder goes out there and throws his hands up like you're supposed to, then gets down on his hands and knees and starts digging underneath the fence. Well, the rule is once you start digging for the ball again, it's still live. And so the, the runner runs around. When I asked him about it, he said, well, Coach, I just knew we'd need the ball back. So I went ahead and went out there and got it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Your response should have been, that's what we have on stop for, to go retrieve those ball balls. <laughs> but, but I do remember the day you're talking about, and, yeah, kind of the same thing. We're just, you know, hey, it's, it, it's cold. I realize that. But uh, we got an opportunity to play today. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to play. And, and if the field isn't wet uh, – or too wet to play, then then we're we're expecting to play, and um, so I feel like that has set a tone. And, and like you said, it used to be that kids used to show up to school and be like, oh, "There's no way we'll play today." And, and it's funny now. The the difference is it's other teachers and coaches where kids will be talking about, "Oh, there's no way you guys will play today," and our kids are me like, "Oh, we'll play. We'll we will find a way to play uh, every every day that we possibly can." And last thing before I definitely want to talk about the season, but. If there's one thing, too, that always – one of many things that's always stuck with me that you taught – not only myself, but the team was uh, – I remember we used to do – I can't remember if it was one of the morning meetings or one of the practices. They all kind of run together. But you stood – it was a practice. It was after a practice. And I think we'd had a pretty bad practice. And, and you said um, – we have to outwork everybody else because people in California and Florida, they can play baseball year round because of the weather. Yeah. We can't. And so that means we have to do double the work because we have less time. And for some reason, that just always stuck with me. And and I think that it's not just words are spoken. It's actions are taking place to back up those words within the program. Yeah. And and that, that's a, a really good point. Um you know, you, you look at people, there's there's Thanksgiving Day baseball tournaments. Well, Thanksgiving Day around here, you're not getting to play. And so if you're a kid that's trying to make it in this game, if you want to play college baseball, if you want to want to play after college even, uh, you've got to find a way to work even when other people uh, are, are sitting at home in the cold. I, and when we do get a nice day, it can't be a two-hour practice. We're, we're going to have to get after it uh, because we have to make up for some lost time that we missed out on some of those other things. And uh, I think we, we sometimes tend to be able to sit there and kind of feel comfortable with what we're doing. And we don't push ourselves hard enough in a lot of areas of this, uh, this world. And um, so we've just always tried to, to do more than everyone else. Um, you know, for the longest time, we did not have an indoor facility. Uh, we got that. That's been a game changer for us uh, because now our kids get, get work in constantly the fall, the winter. I actually just came back from there Um I had to run some things up to the field, and we had a couple kids getting up there to, to get some extra swings in. Uh, those kinds of things allow you to separate yourself from other programs in Missouri and and then throughout the Midwest, and, and hopefully eventually, you know, kind of the next goal is can we be, you know, a, a top 20, top 25 team in the country? Um, you know, and if we're going to do that, then like you said, we have to outwork the people in Florida. We have to outwork the people in California because they're going 12 months a year, and we're only getting, you know, six or seven months of good baseball weather in around here. And one of the strengths, too, going along with with you talked about the top 25 ranked teams, um, you don't play an easy schedule and you really never have. Um, can you kind of talk about that? And I really want to dive into the season. So maybe kind of tie in that philosophy with with your schedule this year. Yeah, it's actually um, they are very tied together because, you know, what I've always wanted to play as, as tough of people as we possibly could because they expose your weaknesses. Um, you, you get to find out immediately what it is you don't do well, and it allows you to work through some things. And so by the end of the season, uh, you really have the opportunity now to be a, a well-oiled machine because you've been exposed in every way that you possibly can be. And so it's not just that we play historically great programs. I also try to find people that are going to be really good for one or two years. And if that's a smaller school with a couple of really good arms, we have no problem going and playing a, a smaller school and being challenged in that way. Um, 
you know, so a lot going back to, to the year of 2020, uh, we knew we were going to be nationally ranked. Uh, we, we had a, a pretty good idea on that. And we knew that we had, you know, I think we had eight division one or division two players. And so it was, uh, what can we do to really challenge them? So we went out and we found uh, we were going to play Owasso. We were going to play Broken Arrow. Uh, we were going to play some really good schools down in Arkansas. I believe we had four nationally ranked teams on the schedule. Anybody I could find that was getting some sort of national recognition, we tried to schedule them. And then, of course, the season gets canceled. And so, you're, you know, you're sitting there saying, okay, and, and the season gets canceled and we graduate 15 seniors. And so everyone says, okay, well, the, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to scale back your schedule. And, and I guess in some ways we did just because with COVID coming in, we didn't want to commit to any trips that caused us to stay overnight because we were really worried about the spread of COVID, the quarantines, staying in a hotel room and, and then getting the program shut down. So that did limit us just a little bit. Uh, but what we did was if we could drive there and back in a day and play, we did it. And we looked for anybody possible that we could, could do that for. So we drove to Columbia Rock Ridge on a Wednesday. We didn't get back till two in the morning, uh, you know, and had school the next day. Uh, we did everything possible to continue playing that tough schedule. We get to the end of the season and you're sitting there looking around. Well, we lost 10 games. Uh, our, our 10 losses, we only lost one game to a class five school, which we're in class five. Uh, you know, all of our other losses were to, to big time teams. We didn't have this, uh, you know, we didn't want to play an easier schedule because we supposedly had less talent. And then by playing tougher people and pushing ourselves, uh, by the end of the year, we were as good as we've ever been. I mean, we, we played over the last month of that season, uh, we played extremely well. And I think it's because we did push ourselves to play as good a people as we possibly could. And so it was uh, it was a really good situation for us. And I, I would highly recommend for the people that are out there in coaching to play as tough a people as you can, uh, because it's it's not just going to make your overall team better. It makes the individual players better. And when they go on to play college baseball, they're playing the best of the best. So we as coaches sh should have a, a design system to help people play the best of the best while they're here. Definitely, and an unintended consequence, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you've thought about this too, is, you know, you've always been, I've been around you enough in the program enough to know, you know, you always want to prepare people, not just for the next level in baseball, but in life. And so you just told the story about going up to, to Rockbridge and getting back at two in the morning. Number one, that's college baseball. That's division one college baseball. I can't tell you how many times on the road with, with Keith Gunn in Missouri state when I was with them, you know, we would drive to, you know, we would come back on a Sunday from, you know, Peoria, Illinois, after a series at Bradley, and we get back at one, two in the morning and coach's very first words were, go to class tomorrow. You know, Paul Lusk would say the same thing. Kelly Harper, all the coaches I worked under would say, go to class tomorrow. So, you know, it's teaching your players that, and eventually they're going to have to get a, a full-time job one day where they might have to get up at four in the morning, regardless of what time they went to bed Sunday. So I think that's another, you know, pre preparing for life as well, an unintended consequence of that drive up and drive back. Yes. And, and we talk about those kinds of things all the time, because like you said, at some point you're going to be an adult and you're going to have, we could find an excuse every day to not do what we're supposed to do. You know, every day when you wake up, uh, you have this opportunity to attack the day, or you can say, man, I stayed out too late last night, or, you know, my, my throat's a little bit sore, or, you know, I've got, a, I've got a big day in two days, so I better sleep in a little bit more here. And, uh, you know, those, those days add up, and you end up wasting those moments. I mean, you, so there's sometimes where you just have to push yourself through something. And so if we can put them in situations like that at 16, 17, 18 years old, it's going to really set them up for those handling those things when they're 23, 24, 25. And, uh, you know, those of you that are listening to this that are parents, you know, how many times did you lose sleep during the night? But you're still expected to, to show up the next day and, and work really hard at your job. And that's the exact same situation when we get back late from a game. You're expected to show up the next day and, and work hard at school. And uh, so we try to do some of those things as well. And looking at the schedule, too, and, and I know we had kind of talked before the podcast about I really want to know what has changed uh, in baseball in southwest Missouri since you know about 2011 when I when I graduated. But I'm looking at your schedule and I see, you know, a 20 to 14 win, a 19 to 11 win. And those games are against team programs that won 20 games this year, one one twenty one. Uh, I'm seeing another. Um, 16 to two, you guys were on the losing end of that, but I'm seeing a lot more runs being manufactured. So I'm curious, is there a lot more focus and emphasis on 
hitting than it was pitching, or what's, or was that just coincidental? All those double-digit games. I think honestly, this year what you saw baseball-wise was uh, a setback due to COVID. Mm-hmm. Pitchers, pitchers really struggled to throw strikes this year, um, and and I actually saw some data on this just recently on minor league baseballs facing the same issue. It's like the pitchers did not get enough mound time against actual hitters. And so uh, they're walking way too many guys. And so those games that you just mentioned were just filled with walks, um, you know, and so that, that's kind of what happened there. Um, as far as baseball overall, I graduated in 2000. I played at Ozark here in the same conference. Uh, the baseball talent in the last 20 years in Southwest Missouri has just grown exponentially. It's so much better than it used to be. Uh, Keaton Presley played Division One baseball out of our school. Uh, he graduated in 2014, went on and played at Central Arkansas, and he's back now in the area. And he's like, man, baseball is a lot better than it was 10 years ago when I was in high school. And I think that's for a combination of factors. I think, number one, uh, there was this time period where baseball players really didn't lift very hard. And now a lot of your best athletes are pushing themselves in the weight room, and that's showing results on the field. And then the use of things like indoor facilities, and a lot of schools in our area have turf fields now. Uh, we do not, but a lot of schools do. And so it allows – just more opportunities for kids to get on the field, to get more swings in. And there you're seeing improved offensive play. And so when you look at guys going on to play in college baseball, whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, the only guys out of this area who were succeeding at the collegiate level were pitchers. I mean, you saw a lot of pitchers come out of here, uh, not just Willard, but out of Southwest Missouri and have success. But you rarely saw offensive players do that. And now here in the last five, six, seven, eight years, our offensive talent has really exploded. And I attribute a, a lot to indoor facilities, not just at high schools, uh, but you also have, you know, a summer travel organizations that have indoor facilities uh, that have really done a good job. And so you just see so many people uh, spending time on the offensive side of the game that it has really uh, improved things for sure. And I want to go through the schedule here too. So you started off uh, with a loss to Connett seven to three. That was back on March nineteenth, and then you went on a five-game winning streak before losing to Kickapoo in that uh, the annual Willard leadoff tournament, one of my favorite tournaments I was a part of. Um, and then a loss to Rockbridge and Staley. And so, kind of talk about the first half of the season, and then was there a particular point in the season where you knew this team was had a chance to do what it did? Yeah, great questions. Um, you know, we're going back to the you know the winter or preseason, you know, January and February, you're really ramping up uh, to get prepared for the season. As, as coaches, we were talking and we were like, you know, what we don't look too great. Uh, you know, we, we we felt like we'd be really reliant on one pitcher. Uh, we just were not super enthusiastic about how we had performed uh, up to that point. And then we start practice, and the first two weeks of practice went extremely well. Um, you know, we were we were really excited about how we practiced early on. And so, uh, you know, as coaches, we kind of got together and we said, hey, we're we're better than we thought. Uh, the guys worked really hard. They were communicating well and, and just really pushing themselves. Uh, you know, there was there was no excuse making and just a group of guys that was really pushing themselves. And then we go to our jamboree, which is just a scrimmage. And we played terrible. I mean, you, you could not you could not draw up a worse uh, performance by our team. And so I think it kind of set us back a little bit. Uh, we go into the the Kennett game, and, and they they were loaded. They have they had multiple Division One players. We played okay in that one. The next day, when we played well against Hickman, uh, you know, Dalen Stewart threw an eight inning no hitter. Uh, he was he was phenomenal, and that kind of showed us that hey, with him on the mound, we can beat about anyone because he's that good. Um, and then over the next few weeks, we started beating people even when he wasn't on the mound. And so that gave us a lot of confidence. But as far as a turning point win, um, we played Webb City. Uh, the game was originally scheduled for a Tuesday. It got moved up a day uh, due to uh, just print. There was going to be downpours throughout that week. And Webb City does have a turf field, but it was going to be cold and everything else. So we moved it up one day. So we decided to play them on a Monday. Uh, that day at noon, the, all, the, the uh, state rankings came out. And at noon, we got ranked number one in the state, and Webb City was ranked number two in the state. So now, not only is it a, a road game and a conference game, but it's number one in the state versus number two in the state, and we're going down there. And so we get down to Webb, um, and it was just a good atmosphere. You know, it's the great thing about our conference is we play a lot of games in big atmospheres. We start off the game, uh, Dalen was not real sharp and gives up two in the first, and we don't do anything on offense for the first four innings. And then in the fifth, we just erupted for five runs. And, and held on to win five to four. And, and 
after that game, it was just like, hey, we can beat anybody. You know, we got we had to, we had to travel the web. The game got moved up a day. Uh, our best dude on the mound had a rough first inning. We didn't do anything on offense for four innings at a time, and we still found a way to win the game. And if we if all of those things can happen and we can still find a way to win, we can do anything. And so that really kind of was the, our turning point as far as building confidence uh, was getting a, a really big win against a, a very quality team. Web City was extremely talented and very senior heavy. A lot of those guys have won state championships in football, so they know how to win. And so for us to get over that hump uh, was really, really big for our guys' confidence. And uh, from that day forward, we really rarely had a bad practice. Uh, we only really played poorly one other time the rest of the year. Um, and so it was a, a really uh, – probably that was probably our turning point from a confidence standpoint. And just looking at the schedule here, too, going into districts, uh, sweep districts, wins over Hillcrest, Rolla, and Marshfield. And um, there's always that, and we kind of experienced it there sophomore, my sophomore year against, ironically, Hillcrest again uh, with, with, you know, it's one and done. Once you get to those, it doesn't matter what you did the rest of the season before, you know, what you did before right. that. It's it's one and done. It's one and done. And so I think that's definitely probably where the the great scheduling came in and, and you know, being hot at the right time, as they say, and, and having a lot of confidence. Yes. Uh, you know, I think whenever one of the things that our conference, uh, every game matters. There's, there's not bad teams in our conference. Uh, a lot of the other conferences have three or four or five pretty weak teams. We don't have that. And so every game means something, and we're, we're trying to play to win conference games. And so it puts pressure on you. You know, you feel like by the time we get to districts, we have played 15 to 20 pressure-packed games. And so we kind of can handle the adversity of postseason games better maybe than some other people can just because we've been in that situation more. And you talk about that Hillcrest game. Hillcrest was not a very strong ball club this year. Uh, we scored two runs right away, and then we really struggled offensively the rest of that game. They had two guys on uh, with two outs in the seventh uh, when we ended the game with a strikeout, uh, you know, but that was, that was a nail biter of a game, but we, we never panicked. Um, we were able to just kind of get through the game. And actually after that game, our seniors kind of led a little uh, players only meeting type thing and, and got everyone kind of focused. And, and from that day forward, uh, our seniors have been great leaders all year. Uh, but before you can be a great leader, you have to be a, a really good follower. And we had some maybe some younger guys who were not real good at following yet. Um, you know, the leadership was there, but the following was not. After that Hillcrest game, everyone just locked in and said, we're going to do whatever it takes to win games. And if that means I have to hit four ground balls, if that means I have to take strikes, whatever it is I have to do to help us win. If I have to bunt all four plate appearances, I'm going to do anything possible to help us win. And finally, the senior leadership that had been there all year started to be followed by some younger guys. And that really made a, a huge difference. Uh, actually, the very next game against Rolla, when I believe uh, someone told me we squared around a bunt 27 times in that game because that was part of our game plan. We knew we had to do it. And, and so, you know, you don't see that much in high school baseball, especially at the large class level. But uh, we, we had to do that to win the game. And then we turned around the next game. I don't think we squared around a bunt one time. You know, so it was just uh, kids really bought into the scouting reports. But um, it, it was really a, a big thing there when the, the group learned to follow our leadership of our seniors. Definitely. And again, what a what a great run you all you all had. in. And I mean, it, it's something special. The program's special. It's it's continuing. It's going to continue to do great, great things for sure. Um, one question, too, I had and, and I I was kind of wondering this earlier. So the state tournament so you, districts were always three games. Uh, you know, you win. As long as you keep winning, it's three games and you've won districts. But then there was two win, or you had to get two wins to go to state. Yeah. Um, or is that just basketball that I'm thinking of? Because there was no. one win and then state. Was that because of COVID or did the real, was there some sort of realignment? I'm just curious. Yeah, great question. There was realignment for this year. Um, and so what had happened, You so what they did uh, over the last seven, eight, nine years, you were in a six-team district. So if you were the yep. one or two seed, you got a buy. Um, right. And then you played a sectional and a quarterfinal. Well, this year they went to 18 districts, and, but then they only had a quarterfinal. Um, and, and that was kind of a surprise to a lot of us. We didn't know it was going to be that way until early March. Uh, but, but it worked out uh, just fine for us this year. Yeah. You know, as a state, you're always trying to find that right match. Uh, baseball being a spring sport, uh, being at the end of the school year, it is sometimes difficult to balance you know, prom, graduation, maybe some administrators that don't want to supervise too many games late in the year. Um, and then also creating the best postseason experience for, for high school baseball. 
Um, and I think we're still we're still trying to figure some things out there. I think the state is continuing to look at ways we can improve that. But we did just have you know, after our three game districts, uh, we were in an 18 district. We won all three of those games. We only had one more game, and that was a home game against Glendale um, on a Saturday afternoon. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, I believe we had about 600 people at the game, which for a high school baseball game is quite a bit, you know, especially for one that's not at the Final Four, uh, you know. And so it was it was really a pretty cool uh, atmosphere for us uh, there on that day. Definitely. And, and like I said, it was uh, I totally forgot about the, the first round by. Um, and so the way they aligned it, I think, is it could be beneficial. Obviously, there's so much more that goes into, you know, you've got class realignment and what makes sense travel wise. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I, and I know the, the folks at Michigan are going to do the best thing, that, the best job they can to make the experience the best for, for the student athletes. Yes. Uh, you know, we have a baseball advisory committee that, that recommends things. And same thing, you know, you've got a, you've got a class one school and a class six school. It's, it's just a totally different game. And so how do you make everything equitable for everybody in our state is not an easy situation. And so uh, they're always trying to work on things. One of the things they did differently this year was the state assigned the umpires for postseason games. That was so much better. You no longer had to try to call and get umpires and see who was blocked on someone else's list and hurt people's feelings about, well, this school didn't really want you as an umpire. Uh, the state just went through and they looked at ratings and they, they assigned people. And so you got who you got. And, and uh, that was a, a much better change for, for our state. And so they are making positive changes. Definitely. And I, I want to ask, too, real quick, um, obviously the game of baseballs involved with analytics. Um, and I remember, and this is just kind of reminiscing, too, you know, you would always assign me to, I would always stand next to your dad during games after I'd stopped playing uh, freshman year. And I was the student, I think my official title was student assistant or student. Yeah. I, I called myself the uh, the jack of all trades around there. <laughs> yes, you were. You did, you did a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> um, but I remember standing next to your dad and, and there was, you know, a lot of data going into it. And there was, you know, you had scouting reports and stuff. And, and you know, I can't remember. It was my job to your dad would help me with the pitches. And then I was tracking where the locations were of, you know, hits, you know, where the opposing team had hit the ball so we could align. Has it evolved even more analytically than than when I was around it at the high school level? Or have they not quite gotten to the point where it's very data driven? Uh, you know, we, we are more data-driven probably than most programs, but I would say it's not to the level it is in college baseball. You know, I, I'm talking to uh, uh, a former player um, that, that played Division One baseball, and he said, you know, there, we get into things like, oh, on a 0-1 count, this pitcher throws their slider 80% of the time. Uh, we, we don't have that level of detail, but as far as what you're talking about, when we're going to spray charts, uh, see where to position our de defenders, um, that stuff has gotten better. So there's things like Game Changer that shows some of that data. Uh, there's a lot more games on film now. Uh, so we get to watch a lot more games on YouTube or people stream them through uh, sometimes even just through Facebook Live. But a lot of times the schools themselves will stream games. And so we're able to get a lot more data on those kinds of things. Um, and then when we're looking at our own players, we use quite a bit of data for player development. Uh, you know, not just stopwatches and radar guns, but uh, we're looking at launch angles and we're using video to uh, really in the off season, uh, our kids get a lot of their own feedback on how to get better at this game. And so that's really where the data has impacted high school baseball probably the most is we used to just say, well, try to hit the ball hard. Well, now we can say, well, we need you to hit the ball 90 miles per hour and between the launch angles of four and 14 degrees. And that, you're going to get a hit like 85% of the time if you do that. And that's data that maybe we weren't using 10 years ago uh, that now we are. And that's, it's been really beneficial. It gives clear feedback for kids. How technology has evolved the game for sure. I remember in particular one, one, at one point going up into the press box and I don't even know what was, it was probably too cold and I didn't want to be out deep, be down there with you all, to be honest. And so I was like, well, I'll be productive, find something to do up in the press box. So I was probably working on homework and acting like I was doing some, but anyway, I, had ended up printing out um, schedules for all of our, I wanted each team schedule that, and you didn't know I was doing this. Um, I printed out each team schedule that we were playing. So I went to, I can't even remember what the site was, uh, Max Preps maybe? Probably so, yes. And then went and found, okay, here's our schedule. Here's who we're playing. Here's all our opponent's schedules. And so you had like 20 some pieces of paper hanging on the wall and you come up there and you're like, 
I like that idea a lot. And then, you know, looking back 10 years, I'm like, well, we probably could have just made it into a nice, easy spreadsheet that, you know, or not even that we probably could have, it probably would have already been made available to us through some sort of data tracker. And I would have just had to click one button and print it. So it's just funny how technology has evolved in this game. It is, you know, now, now we can just put something on Google sheets or Google docs and I can link that to my phone and I can pull it up the middle of a game, in the middle of a practice, I can do anything I want to with it now. Uh, there, there's even now people that are live streaming their games. You've seen major league players who are watching their own at-bats that they just had on an iPad in the dugout. Um, you know, there are some rules against some of that uh, below the major league level, uh, but you're seeing more and more of those kinds of things. We're getting great data uh, to really help kids out, which is which is good, but it is overwhelming, especially as we get older. It means we have to continue to keep up with the changes in technology, which isn't always easy. Definitely. And I want to ask before we get into our last segment here, uh, obviously, again, we've talked a little bit about the the title run and, and the final four, but really talk about the two games, the final four experience and then winning it, not only winning it, but winning it in your hometown of Ozark there at, at Price Cutter Park. I believe that's what they still call it. Uh, many, many major leaguers. I know it's changed. It's been renovated, turfed down, but many, many major leaguers. Ryan Howard played there. Um, yeah. So it's a special place for a lot of people in Southwest Missouri. So to have it there um, and then, you know, a turf field and and uh, you all played there. I think you played there five times this year. So being familiar and, and just that whole experience. Yeah, it was, you know, it is my hometown. I don't know that that made it necessarily more special for me. Uh, what, but what it did make special for for all of us was the amount of support we got from not just Willard, but from Southwest Missouri. Uh, you know, you had you had fans of other schools that were there rooting for us. It's really what makes our area pretty special. When you go to, you know, the, the Final Four had been in St. Louis uh, before this one we had went, and we would go up to St. Louis for these games, and you'd be playing somebody, and other St. Louis people were like, oh, I hope you guys win. Uh, I can't stay in this school. I, you know, they were rooting against people from their own area, and you just didn't get that feel down here. Uh, you know, we had a lot of supporters, even from teams we had just recently beaten. Um, so that was a, a really cool deal. Uh, as far as playing at U.S. Ballpark, uh, which is what Price Cutter Park is now called, is, is U.S. Ballpark, uh, was really pretty cool because, like you said, I'm from Ozark, and that was where we played our high school games uh, there in the late 90s. And then I used to go watch Missouri State play, and, and there was a team called the Mountain Ducks that I went and watched play. So there is a lot of history in that park. As far as those final two games, uh, it was just kind of a surreal experience. The The crowd that we had, the way we won both games, both on walk-offs, uh, the first one by a freshman uh, was pretty cool. And uh, just how our guys were so uh, relaxed and comfortable and confident. And as you said, we've played there five times this year. Uh, we play there every summer. We have guys that play there in the fall. Uh, we have practiced down there at times because when it rains, we try to find any place we can to practice because we don't have turf. And so uh, we felt very comfortable being at that park. And uh, they do a great job down there. And so it really kind of allowed us to play relaxed. So to, to talk about the first game of the final four, we're in the semifinal. Uh, we get three runs um, to go up three to one um, in the sixth inning, Dalen Stewart, who's our ace and, and probably the best pitcher we've had at Willard. Um, we, they get four straight hits. And so now it's three, two bases loaded, nobody out. And for him to get out of the rest of that inning, only allowing one more run was the, the turning point of that game. Uh, he got a ground out to shortstop. Our shortstop, Blake Holtgren, goes to his right, fields it, throws it to third to get that runner out. And so now the run does score, so it's now 3-3, but it's now first and second one out. And he was able to navigate his way through the rest of that inning. Um, we then go into the uh, bottom of the sixth and the bottom of the seventh. We don't score, but then in the eighth, uh, Dalen is able to get a strike. His, you know, We have pitch counts in Missouri. You can only throw 105 pitches. Uh, on his last pitch, he was allowed to throw. He got a strikeout to end the inning. And then we come out in the bottom of the eighth, and uh, Cooper Hampton, which was Ty's little brother, uh, he's not too little anymore. Uh, Coop, Coop runs about 210, and he is strong, and, and he's got a, a bright future in this game. Uh, we had flown out deep into the outfield four or five times already, and, and Cooper hits one that uh, would have been way out at our park, ends up hitting off the bottom of the fence at U.S. Ballpark for a leadoff double. And uh, we ended up finally, with the bases loaded and two outs, we drew a walk to win the game. And and then it was just kind of pandemonium on the field. You know, our guys kind of ran out there. It wasn't a great dog pile, but it was a little mini dog pile. And uh, we were able to get the win. 
um, and handled a lot of cool things there. Then you're, you just kind of, everyone's pretty drained. So uh, as coaches, we got together, we watched a bunch of film and we, uh, we felt like we had a decent plan going into the state championship. And then you get down there and you're trying to get prepared. And uh, the game before us ran long. And so you're just kind of sitting and waiting, sitting and waiting, sitting and waiting. And then you get out onto the field. And I mean, the crowd was huge. There, there was over a thousand people there uh, for the state championship. And a lot of them were Willard supporters and they were loud. Uh, but it, it just kind of hits you like, man, this is this is a big deal. And so we come out on fire early in the game. We're up seven to two going into the fifth. Our starter ran into a little bit of trouble. At that point, as coaches, we kind of uh, went to some different relievers and none of them were really sharp. Uh, but we eventually got to a, a sophomore named Clayton Kaiser, who had opened the year as our closer. Um, and he had scuffled a bit at various points. But, man, he was lights out in the state championship and just really kept kept the game in check. And so uh, when the game really could have gotten away from us, he did a tremendous job. So we go into the seventh inning down 8-7. Uh, you know, we, we lead off uh, – uh, well, we were in a good part of our order. And uh, Cooper Hampton once again leads off uh, by getting on base. And, and then we, we hit another single with Cade Billier. Kaiser comes up first and second, nobody out, which is a possible bunt situation. We let him swing away. He crushes a ball to center field, but that park's pretty big. They catch it. Um, and then Elliot Friend, our DH, who's going to play college football, singles up the middle. Hampton scores to tie the game at eight. And that really just allowed us to relax and play. Uh, because now you knew that no matter what, this game's going another inning. We're either winning it here or we get to go back out for another inning. And Kaiser's been lights out on the mound. So we felt really comfortable with that. Uh, they were able to uh, get the bait. We, we were able to load the bases with one out. Uh, and then we, we had a strikeout kind of in a big moment there. And that brought up Kaiden McMain in our nine hole. Uh, you you might know his dad, Troy. Troy McMain yep. is a really good player here, graduated in 2000. I believe uh, his jersey's retired there in the, yes. the Wall of Fame. Yes, it is. Yeah, Troy was a great player. His son, Kaiden, comes up. And Kaiden progressed a ton this year on defense. Uh, really, really was turned into a, a, an outstanding defensive catcher. Uh, his offense uh, moved along a little more slowly. But late in the season, he was swinging it well, and uh, he gets an RBI single through the right side to win the game, and just kind of pandemonium ensued again. Uh, you know, guys are rushing out on the field. Everyone's hugging each other, and you don't even really know what to do. But I just remember looking at different kids' faces, and, like, everyone couldn't believe that we won it. And it's still kind of surreal even now, two weeks later, to be thinking about. Definitely. And, and I was so, again, so happy, as were a lot of people, community parents, you know, supporters of the program, community members, um, just so happy. And, and you not only won the first ever baseball title, but first ever boys sports title at Willard. And so that's definitely something you, your staff and, and the program uh, uh, are definitely proud of, for sure. Yes. You know, Willard's got a, a good sports tradition. Um, but we, we've been we've been good a lot of times, but we haven't been able to quite get over the hump. And that's not just in baseball. It's been that way in basketball as well. Uh, you know, both both of those sports we've been really good at historically. Uh, but we'd only made it to one other state title in baseball and one other state title in basketball. And we lost both of those. So um, it was really, really cool for us to even be playing. It was just the third state title in school history on a boys side. And, um, you know, we were able to, to come through and win it. The girls side, we had only ever won one state title coming into this year. And that was 1981 um, in volleyball. And then kind of in a, in a cool situation, our volleyball team won it this year. Um, so we actually bookended our year. The volleyball squad won it in the fall and we won it in the spring. And and uh, I, I really feel like that was a, a pretty cool situation for especially for the senior class that, that missed a lot of things their junior year due to COVID. So it was a, a really cool experience for us. Definitely. And again, can't say enough about the job you and, and all the assistants, both past and present. You know, I, I played under some some great assistants and uh, won't name any names because I know I'll miss somebody. But there were you know, they were all very special. And the program's just been not only very special to me and, and but my family is all, all all three of me and my two brothers came up in the program and, and the coaching staff always, you know, had our backs. And I remember one time, too, uh, you know, this just goes to show how a coach can make a difference in someone's life. And, and, uh, you know, I remember one Saturday morning you drove all the way. I was, you know, speech and debate. Those of you that don't know me well know that speech and debate was my thing. I tried to be a baseball player, but it just wasn't going to work out. <laughs> and, and coach and I can laugh about it now, but uh, it just wasn't going to work. But, you know, speech and debate, I found success there. And, 
you got up one morning junior year and and drove all the way over to Republic, didn't really tell me you were coming over there and, and watched me debate. And I thought for, for a coach to do that for a student manager, somebody who doesn't even play, that just shows, you know, that goes to show how much, um, how much the coach and, and the program cares about its players. And so I say that to say, you know, we appreciate, you know, all you've done for us and, and the program and the community and you and the staff. And uh, just again, a huge congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And, and you know, we, we said this a lot, but, you know, the, we won it this year, but our program got advanced every year by people that allowed us to win it. Um, it this doesn't happen overnight. And we go back to when you first came into high school and, you know, we're like begging kids in the hallways to come out for baseball. Yeah. Um, and then there was people like you and, and so, so many others, but uh, that just advanced the program. And, you know, you talk about uh, the speech and debate situation, but just all the things you did for our program that weren't on the field. And, uh, you know, it's, it's people like you and you know, our youth directors and just, uh, you know, parents and so many unsung heroes when you have this that allow your program to get to the level that it's at. And so, uh, you know, yeah, you were a, you were a very strong speech and debate student. Uh, you know, it was probably under some different leadership in that program at the time. You probably could have done that for much longer. But uh, it's one of the things that really allowed you to uh, have so much success in life and uh, because you really learned so many things about yourself and, and worked so hard at that. And, uh, and and I was really, really glad that you were able to, to find success in that because you were really, really good at it. Yeah, and I appreciate all that. And like I said, it's just – you know, reminiscing is always fun, but it, you know, when you win something like this or you always reflect back and, and even though um, not making this about me by any means, but I just look back to me working for the Cubs and, and, you know, being able to get a world series ring and, and being a part, even though I wasn't on the field or it, even in any sort of front office or decision-making, you know, you're still part of the organization. You were still there. And, and I look back to my time at Willard and, and my time in speech and debate would taught me, hard work and dedication. Um, and I would not have gone there without those two things. They were a huge part of that as well. And so um, it's funny how things come together in life, you know, sends us in different places, but they all seems to come together for sure. Very, very true. And like you said, uh, you, know, you may not have been on the field for the Cubs, but everything matters. Uh, when you're creating a culture, when you're creating an environment, everything you do matters. And it can either add to the program or it can take away from the program. And uh, I think sometimes people think, oh, my job doesn't really matter. I've got a small part. Uh, you are either adding something or subtracting something to the overall program. And those small additions really allow things to happen. Definitely. And uh, again, congratulations to you, the entire uh, Willard community and the baseball program. And uh, wish you all nothing but the best moving forward and, and hoping for, for another victory next year. And hey, yes. are you ready for our last segment here? It's Tyler's Five. And for those of you that haven't listened, um, it's just more of a fun get to know you. These questions have, I'm the only one who has seen them. Uh, so it's made to put people like Coach McGee on the spot. Um, and it's more of a, it, it's a fun deal. So um, yeah. are you ready? I'm very ready, yes. All right, first question. Favorite city you have ever visited? Uh, ooh. Probably Seattle. Um, okay. My wife and I went there a couple years ago. We, we really enjoyed Seattle. Uh, I, I think that's probably number one. Um, See, so yeah, I'll go with that one. Definitely. I was going to guess when I was writing this up, I thought for sure you being a, a history teacher. I don't know if that's what you still teach, but you did when I was there. Uh, I, my guess was you were going to say Washington, D.C. So that one catches me by surprise. <laughs> well, I, I actually haven't been to D.C. in about 20, well, now about 25 years. Yeah, about oh, 25 okay. years. So I'm going to go back here soon. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. So I, I may have a different answer then, but I do really like D.C. as well. I like I liked Pittsburgh. It may have just been because of how awesome their stadium is. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, there's I, I like to travel to the cities here in the United States. So, yeah. Definitely. And uh, second question here, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, boy. I tell you what, there that is a, a great question. Um, you know, I think an easy answer for me would be someone like George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, that just the founding of this country and, and what they have created here, um, by no means are we perfect as a nation, but everything that, that we have done and stood for and, and created is really cool. Um, so, you know, you said, you said dead or alive. So I'll choose that for my dead. Um, for my, for my alive, I would choose, I want, I want somebody who's at the absolute top of their craft so I, I would love to have dinner with LeBron James. 
Uh, I would love to have dinner with, uh, you know, even like Joe Madden. Um, just people who have had the ultimate success, because I think when people succeed to that level, uh, you can really learn a lot from them. And plus, I think Joe Madden would be hilarious to have dinner with. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, he's got a restaurant here. Obviously, he yes. managed here in Tampa. Uh, and I've been there a co couple of times. It's on the Tampa side. Um, but it's like an Italian wine bar type of place. And you walk in and you would not know Joe Madden op you know, owns it. It's, but apparently he's there in the off season doing things. He, he has a house over, over on the Tampa side. Um, but it's just, I guess there's like a room in the back that's got a bunch of baseball stuff, but you would never know. And, and it's located in a place called Hyde Park in Tampa where it, that's like a very, I think University of Tampa is like right there. So it's a very heavy yeah. bar bar scene yeah. um so you would never walk in if you didn't know you would never walk in and think oh this is joe madden's bar um and so uh, yeah he would definitely be someone i'd love to to have dinner and and a couple drinks with for sure because we know he likes his shots and beers for sure <laughs> and, and he likes his wine i think they, they went to his manager's office one time when he was with the cubs and he had several bottles of wine in there and so yeah he's 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 definitely into that stuff for sure. Third one, and I think I already know the answer uh, based on the last question, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Um, or I'll, I'll put a spin on it if it is Joe. If it is Joe, But uh, if you could coach baseball for one game with a manager, current or past, who would it be and why? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that and say one of each, current and past managers. Good. Uh, yeah, current would probably be Joe Madden. Um, just, I, I think he has kind of changed some of the modern way of thinking. Um, and, and I, I like how he empowers his players to make decisions. Uh, that's something we're always trying to work on as coaches. Uh, if we if we went past, uh, man, Billy Martin would be really fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Billy Martin would be really fun. Uh, going back a, a longer ways than that, I think John McGraw, uh, who managed with the, the Giants back in the early 1900s with Christy Mathewson and those guys. Uh, McGraw was able to get the best out of his players. Um, he had very strict rules and, and just did some really cool things uh, that allowed them to succeed. And you look back at early 1900s baseball where you were only throwing three or four pitchers for the season. It, it resembled a lot of high school baseball. So I, I think you could really, if I could sit down with some of those guys, uh, I think I could learn more about coaching. So, um, and then the other, other guy that I think would be fun would be Ozzie Guillen. Um, you know, you, you looked at when you used to call in Bobby Jinx by just rubbing his belly or whatever else, you know, is. <laughs> Uh, is pretty cool, and, and Ian was was somebody who'd be really fun to manage with for one game, I think. Definitely, and I've got just having worked for the White Sox myself and talking to season ticket holders, uh, I've got so many stories that I've heard about Ozzie Guillen. And did you know, talking about him, so did you know his last game with the White Sox? And I don't know if Lucas was playing for him at the time. So when I say Lucas, uh, Ozark native, Lucas Harrell, he played – uh, a couple of years for the White Sox would go on and play with the Astros and uh, a couple of other teams. Um, I don't know if he was with them at the time, but basically Guillen had um, – there was some sort of contract dispute or something where basically he wanted out of his contract or he wanted an extension. He wasn't seeing eye to eye upstairs from what I understand. And so after the game, my buddy who sits up in – he's a season ticket holder, he said after the second to last game of the season – there was a message after the game on the video board, right after the game edited, that said Aussie Guillen has resigned and will not manage the game tomorrow. And then it was the very next day he he took the Miami job, and I believe I believe he managed the next day for the Marlins, or if he didn't, it was he was name manager the next day. Do you remember all that, or when I that do. was all? I think I think he and Kenny Williams could not uh, come to an agreement on a on a contract extension. And I don't think he managed the Marlins the next day, but I remember it being announced that he was going to be the Marlins manager like right before the last game. And it it kind of summed up his career as a manager. Like it was just so controversial. He was always doing something you just didn't quite expect. And, and uh, so it was a pretty cool, pretty different way to go out for sure. For sure. Fourth one, uh, getting off the baseball topic here, cake or ice cream? Uh, ice cream. Not, I'm not a big cake guy, but I, I do really like ice cream. Yes. Awesome. And last question, uh, favorite college class you ever took? Ooh, man, that's that's a, a really good one. I told uh, you, it, I, it's meant to make you think and put you on the spot. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, I, I wish I wish I could go back and, you know, take notes in a different way. You know, back then we, we had to take notes on pencil and paper. And so I haven't really looked back through my notes too much. Uh, 
you know, I had some some really, really strong teachers, um, you know, in the history department there. So I, I tell you, I don't know. I, I'm probably going to go with my class that was on the history of the Middle Ages, uh, which okay. was actually a topic I wasn't that interested in. Uh, but I did really, really grow in that class and really, really enjoyed the teacher. Uh, as far as maybe what helped me the most, this will this will sound kind of weird, but I, I took a, a baseball theory class taught by Keith Gutton and Sam Carroll. Uh-huh. Uh, and you had to do some things in that class. And I, I got really into analytics during all of that and defensive independent pitching statistics. And it just really allowed me to kind of think outside the box um, about some some things in baseball. Um, and so maybe that class maybe prepared me in, in some ways that you wouldn't have expected, uh, you know, so I, I would go with either one of those two classes. Definitely. Well, we appreciate you answering those questions. And again, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I know I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while, but our schedules just haven't aligned. But uh, I, I think waiting actually did us a favor because the first time I, I could have you on was saying a, a state championship. So again, uh, the head coach of your 2021 state champion Willard Tigers baseball program, Scott McGee. Thank you.